Grassroots government, that's the topic of this Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast. I'm Avery Davidson, along with Louisiana Farm Bureau lobbyist Joe Mapes and National Affairs Coordinator Andy Brown, and the guy who's going to ask all the questions that you're thinking about. I'll try. That I should be asking. I'm going to try. Carl Wiggers. So we're all four in the room again, I think, uh, for the first time this session, which is kind of nice, having Andy and Joe here. And Last week, Joe was a was a little bit of excitement, and Andy was there to to watch uh, the fireworks go off. Uh, it wasn't really fireworks, but it was an interesting time in the uh, Senate Ag Committee last week. I'm going to introduce, introdu- interject, in- interrupt. Yeah, you're one of those you're words. Going to do something. I'm going to do something. But do. I was going to say Andy was not there actually as National Affairs Coordinator, but more as a commodity guy. Yeah, you were wearing yeah. a different hat when you were at the state capitol this past week. So I just wanted to throw that out there so nobody's confused that Andy's doing lobbying in the state. I mean, you kind of are, but not, not on the national affairs front. So yeah, this is when it gets deep in my job description to tell <laughs> people. It's much easier to just say uh, I do national affairs, but oftentimes uh, we do state, local, national, wherever duty calls. Right. So, so I just wanted to put that out there before this conversation moves too far along, and people are wondering why in the heck is the national affairs guy doing that? Andy changes car batteries. He does, he does, do does that, that too. too. <laughs> Got the dirty hands today to prove it. <laughs> so Joe, last week was a busy week. There weren't any fireworks, so to speak. But what, tell, tell us what happened last week in the Capitol. Well, you know, I, I, I got to disagree with you out the gate because in the beginning of the week, we started off with fireworks. We had a, a bill fire, filed by the Senate President Pro Tem, and uh, the bill would allow milk to be sold below cost. And what the problem with that is, is our local farmers uh, that supply our dairies, our dairies couldn't, couldn't compete with that. And so you take... Kleinpeter Dairy in Baton Rouge, for example, they would go out of business and the 14, 15 farms that supply them would go out of business because they can't sell below cost. So the filing of that bill is firework worthy, you think? Well, we had everybody, all interested parties in the room, in the committee room. We had the ag commissioner there. We had uh, dairy farmers there. We had former dairy farmers there. We had the LSU Ag Center, Farm Bureau. We had people of all ag interests, uh, you know, interested in this piece of legislation and at the end of the meeting, we didn't even have a discussion uh, because we opposed the bill. And the author of the bill, uh, Avery, did what? Because Avery was there filming. Yeah, I was there as well. And But I, I kind of want to back up a little bit. You know, Beth Mizell is the one who uh, filed the bill. Yeah, she, I usually don't name names, but go ahead. But, but no, no, we have to because we're going we're gonna to play a little audio from her in a little bit. Oh, okay. Can't but, get away from it. Then. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and it, public forum, I mean— Every, everyone was there, but I thought it was interesting. She was, seemed very confident when she presented the bill before the committee when mm-hmm. she first went up to speak, yeah. and then we heard from Joy Womack, and those of you who may or may not know, those of you who may, not, may or may not know Joy Womack, she and her husband, Victor, ran the last dairy operating in East Baton Rouge Parish, and she went up and just gave some some heartfelt testimony that I really think changed the thoughts of the committee members who were who were there for the Senate Ag Committee. I'd like I'd like for everybody to listen to it. On September the seventh, twenty nineteen, was the hardest day of my life. We watched the stockyard come and pick up every one of our cows and take them off because we could not stay in the dairy business any longer because the price of milk had dropped so low, the price of fertilizer had got so high, and everything was against us. 
I really think that what she said there really changed at least the emotion of the room. I mean, Andy, you were there. You heard it. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning this is grassroots government at its best. I mean, that's that's a longtime leader of ours that came with a passionate testimony and was, I don't think, when I met Miss Joy, when I started at Farm Bureau, I don't know that she would have been willing, prepared, you know, versed enough to, to sit in front of the Senate Ag Committee and give a testimony like that. So that's just a little shout out to, to leadership development. But yeah, her and the way she was able to do it in a passionate situation, but still get across her message, I think really hit home. And you could, you know, anybody in the room, Joe, we were all, you know, fighting back tears. She really uh, brought home some good points. But then we also had our dairy chairwoman from our advisory committee, Susie Sharkey, in the room. She brought a little more passion just uh, rather than a uh, tearjerker, but that's she's still in the business and fighting for her farm and to, to keep uh, viable and, and sustainable, you know, profitable, all those things. And when you sell something below cost, I, I have an economics degree, uh, but they didn't teach me that. Uh, I think I learned that in elementary school. You know, you sell something below what it costs, you, you don't last too long. So. I, I think I asked this in the last podcast, but why Why would we want what, – what is the purpose of that, that She bill? says she thinks it will ultimately she, – she, she says she thinks it will ultimately uh, lower the price of milk for consumers. And the commissioner took the table and proved to her in a conversation how that's actually the opposite of what would happen – the prices would go down at first because Walmart and Costco, who keep their milk at the back of the store, would keep it low on price, and you'd have to walk through the store and buy all kind of stuff on the way in and on the way out, okay? They can afford that. But then at some point, when they decide to set the price, um, they set the price, and it's not going to be low forever, mm. you know? And we won't have these local dairy farms and, and local... Um, so it's kind of a response to high high grocery prices right yeah now. Well, she, I mean, said that, in, in, in she said that she went to mississippi two years ago three years ago and had a new granddaughter and with her daughter who lived in mississippi and they couldn't honor the same dannon yogurt coupons for the little baby that in louisiana that they honored in mississippi and so she thought that was a travesty so she wanted to throw out the whole dairy stabilization act <clears throat> with her last bill that she filed this year uh, Mike Strain said that they honored 220, 220 Dan and Yogurt uh, coupons, so that's not why she brought this bill back this year. She solved that issue. She solved that problem, and so we don't know exactly why she brought it back. She said to give consumers lower prices. Well, and she also said in her testimony, guys, y'all were there, Andy and Avery, mm -hmm. she said in her testimony that proof that her bill is needed and proof that uh, because the current system is not sustaining the dairy industry. The current system is failing it. And proof of that is when she filed her original bill three years ago, there were 80 plus farms. And now there's only 50, what well, she cited 30. She something. said 30. Which she got a... corrected from a farmer in the audience. Uh, he took the table from her district and said, there's actually 59 left. And by the way, we're really strong. The ones that are left behind are really strong. So here's the question, okay? Let's say we agree that the current system cannot sustain the existing 59 farmers, okay? Well, what do we want for ourselves and our friends when we die? We want a slow, peaceful death, okay? We, it's a, I want that for all of my loved ones, and I want that for myself, okay? And guess what? The Louisiana dairy industry is one of our loved ones, okay? So we want to slope, if she's right, mm -hmm. that it can't sustain the industry, let's let it die. Why snuff it out? Why snuff it out all at once right now? There's no point in that.
And what I thought was interesting is when, at the end, after hearing from from Joy, uh, when uh, Senator Mizell took uh, the table again to speak, uh, this this was what she had to say. I'm going to defer the bill. I'm going to defer the bill because I don't think we're having, honestly, uh, I don't want to say an, a dishonest conversation, but we're not being, um, the information is skewed. And um, I'll, I'll stand with that, but I don't want to put the members in an awkward position. Uh, I don't want to go against the commissioner. The number I had on 30-plus dairies came from the department. I didn't pull that out of the air. And I, I, I think that, you know, I, I think there's a way to look at this to say our consumers need to have the opportunity for uh, competitive pricing and, and let's do something. If we care about the dairy industry, why aren't we doing something to restore it? Yeah, I think we've had this conversation yep. and we've had a pretty open conversation because wasn't there a study done yes. a couple and, of years and, ago? And that was never mentioned in committee. But if you look at the study, one of the main recommendations was continued support of the current Dairy Stabilization Act. And there, I mean, there was, a, a, there was a, a more specific statement about doing more with the study. I don't know. I can't remember. But the study really said basically what I just said, and, and that was never mentioned. And she was the co-chair of that committee, that study committee. Mm -hmm. And so nothing really came out of that. You know? So, so the, why the bill was filed again is a mystery. I've I've heard that audio and I was there in the room and I've I've heard it a few times since. I really I don't understand the dishon you know we're having a skewed dishonest discussion. I don't know if that revolved around the the embarrassment to say that we have thirty dairies and there's really uh, upwards of Almost close to that. sixty. Yeah, it, I think that was I think it was just the words that came out to show you know that embarrassment. But ultimately, there was facts and there were people that live this every day there was you know the department was there all the commissioner parties were there and there weren't questions asked we could have had a far more you know we could have had even a more robust discussion but statements was, were just made yeah so it you know that's when you say killing a bill that thing was was killed before we ever walked in the room and i guess she knew it but we didn't make it very far you know, a little bit of passion came out. There could have been a whole lot more of a, if that was the intent was let's have a robust discussion no. about how to save the dairy no. industry. We could have had that. Because we want to say if the dairy industry is in trouble, we want to save it too. Okay. Right. But according to our, the farmer from her district, those 59 farms are not in trouble. Those 59 farms are very strong. Yeah. I would say if, if, if we want to save the dairy industry, we're probably going to be leading the way not letting the legislature do it. I mean, like, Farm yeah. Bureau is going to be at the point of this. The farmers themselves are going to be at the front of this. Yeah, and I don't know if the guy, the guy that you speak of, Joe, I don't know if he's saying that the, the farms are what's strong, but within their community, he did make that point very clear that to the community, that, and especially in Senator Miles district, dairy is still very strong, a strong influence in the community. I think those dairy farms are struggling. Most dairy farms in the country, particularly in the south, continue to struggle but little to do with you know government programs it's more about input costs and a lot of the problems other farmers face uh, you know just inherently well i want to i'm going to go back to something you brought up right when you first started talking andy about having joy sitting there on the stand and this other farmer who is this, do we know this other farmer's name uh, he he, run, I, he runs a co-op in kentwood i got you yeah well 
just the importance of having them sit at the table and tell their story. I know that's something that, I mean, that's kind of at the core of what this podcast is about to highlight or to promote folks being involved in the process. How important, Joe, from a, from a lobbyist perspective, how important is it to have those kind of volunteers, those, those leaders in your organization, in your industry, in your commodity groups, sit down in the table and, and tell their story to the, the committee that they're speaking with about, you know, how these issues will affect them. How important is that? Yeah. Well, it's like Andy said earlier. I mean, that that's it. That's the whole deal. That's grassroots networking. You can't beat the local boys on their home ground. And, and the thing is, um, it's, it's almost dirty politics to me when you use somebody from back home because they can't say no, you know, and you use somebody from the industry instead of some expert that you hired or some somebody from out of state who's an expert on it. That's the worst witness. But the, the, the participation from the voting constituency is so powerful. And I tell that to groups when I speak to them, you know, you're the magic. It's not us. We know the technical parts of the process and how to connect the dots. But when it's time to bring in the experts, Joy Womack that day was our expert. Okay. And she, it's exact testimony we needed for that day. So it's, 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 Carl, there's no way to, to, to factor in how important it is, except that you know, we wouldn't be successful without it. I can tell you that. Now, I would just offer the, our usual kind of national versus state uh, comparison here. That is a hundredfold more important in the state body than, you know, just it's timely. Farm bill hearings are going on right now, and there's people from commodity groups sitting at a hearing table similar to what we did in the state house last week. But it, while that's super important nationally too, you kind of have more of a. It, it's just not as local. It's not as uh, hometown politics. Those votes, you know, get spread out across a larger district. It's it's harder to make that direct impact. You know, to count fifty eight, fifty nine dairies. Most of those are in your district. What are you doing? Where you know you want to run this bill? You're going to have problems. It's, it's harder to pull that in D.C. Mm -hmm. The impact of the statement, the words and the facts and the figures that we share uh, and just the passion carries forward. But that, like Joe's calling dirty politics, just that hometown. You can't, you can't, you can't beat it. You know, if, uh, if you, I, I would if, call it honest politics. I would say that's as that's yeah, as pure. Been, you, I don't know if you've been doing this as long as I have. So well, I, 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 know I, cons how... I consider that below the belt. When I when, when somebody's telling me no. Then all my brain starts thinking is who's their mama back home? You oh, know, yeah, yeah, how but... do I get to them? And I'm gonna get them, and it's not gonna be because I'm brilliant or charming or cunning. None of that. It's gonna be because mama called. Okay, well, that, you and I share that as a favorite part of our jobs. Right. We, we don't have to be all those other things, and we can be confident in our jobs, knowing that if you don't like the way Andy says it or the way Joe says it, or you don't believe me, yeah, I just got the emblem on my chest or the business card in my wallet, but. I'll bring my boys up here, and we can roll if you want to. Or, or in this instance, our ladies. Uh, yeah, I was talking to the senator Susie. the other day, and I said, are you going to be able to vote with us on this bill? And he goes, sure. I said, do you need some backup phone calls and emails and stuff like that? He goes, no, no, I don't. Okay, Because he knows I'm going to go out and produce that. Because when we get voter voice reports mm -hmm. back that say that people aren't, you know, that, that, that they're really covering up legislators, and legislators tell us, they go, hey, can you back that off? Because I'm getting a, quite a few emails. 
I'll go home and tell people at night. I'll go look. The senators are asking for more emails. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they want to Don't be let more off informed. the gas. Don't let off the gas. That's well, right. We we talked about this bill being deferred, and we've seen in the news a lot of bills being deferred. Those on hemp, those on THC. That's all been in the in the regular news lately. But let's talk about getting something passed. And I know that's something. That... I'm gonna interrupt real quick again. Deferred. All right, Kanye. What does that mean? Deferred. Does that kill? That Is it dead? Bi- Is it? It, 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 will it never uh, see light of day again? It depends. It depends on several dynamics, many dynamics, but hyper-technically, when it's deferred, the bill is still alive in the committee. Okay, So now to come back up for another hearing, the, the, the author would have to get a two-thirds vote of the committee, to, and the chairman would have to agree. So mm-hmm. generally, when a bill gets deferred, and it can be voluntarily deferred by a, the author of the bill, which is less embarrassing than having your bill involuntarily deferred by the committee. You know, so if you could see it coming, like the senator saw it coming right. the other day, what you do is you voluntarily defer and you tuck your tail between your legs and you sheepishly walk out. Yeah, it was a retreat. It wasn't a full defeat. So yeah. rather than stay in there and fight the fight and yeah. get completely knocked out, it right. was uh, let's let's pull so back. So we the can would it would we would we call it killed a bill killed? Yes, it's more killed, and and that's what some of the dynamics that I was referencing earlier. One of the dynamics was you had to be in the room. If you were in the room, you know that's a dead bill. Okay, right. it was dead on arrival. And then with the comments that she made and, and then knowing the process and knowing the agriculture committee and all of them were silent uh, except Louie. He was just trying to be nice. Senator Bernard, I love him. But anyway, uh, he was just trying to be nice. But no, if you were there, that's one of the dynamics that proves. And then history and experience teaches us when something gets deferred like that uh, because she didn't even really debate anybody. She mm-hmm. just made statements and then deferred it. I do want to, before we move on, I, I will give her one piece of credit and sort of something you would, wouldn't know unless you're in the room. We can talk about dirty politics. We can, you know, we're proud. We're excited that we got something deferred or killed or whatever you want to call it. But I will say that once the senator got it from that table, she called the gentleman from her district, from Kentwood, out to the hallway to have a discussion. And those are the kind of things just people don't see that even though she just got her tail whooped, you know, legislatively in the committee room, people are still, uh, not all the times, Joe has more stories than I do as far as people getting uh, fired up down there, but more times than not, you can still go out in the hall and have an honest conversation or, you know, explain yourself. Uh, Some of that's politics, but some of it's just honest uh, genuine concern over issues so she you know senator mizell um she thinks she's doing the right thing she thinks she's trying to lower consumer prices for milk and she just can't understand that that's not the case with her pieces of legislation right bottom line well I, i wanted to bring that up and ask that because a lot of times we talk about i mean joe just say it. You love to kill bills. Yes, <laughs> you bring a lot of yes. it brings you a lot of satisfaction. But we've talked about before. Your job in in lobbying is to promote and, and protect. protect. That's correct. So promotion happens in a way that you're educating, but it's not just killing bills when you're when you're doing that. Oh no! So that's no. what Avery. You were you were on your way there. Yeah, I was. So I, was, I just wanted to interrupt before we got there. No, that's okay because we do use a lot of jargon on this podcast. We do talk about. Uh, I know Andy can spout out more alphabet soup than I care to even uh, try to comprehend. And then you know when you're talking about television or lobbying at the Capitol, it's all different jargon that goes with it. And so if we get jargony, that's where I'm glad Carl jumps in and clears it up. Happy to do it. But you know, we talk about defeating bills, 
But we recently had something passed that is something that really, Andy, has been in the works for, for a while, and I'm talking about grain grading. Yeah, it's something that Kyle was working on before I got in this job, uh, maybe not necessarily legislatively, but it's been an issue uh, that Louisiana has been leading the way on for quite a while. And it just so happens that uh, this year, well, last fall, there was enough attention on it where folks started calling their you know, state elected officials, uh, letting them know and bringing them into the fold too. So the chairman of the Senate Ag Committee, Stuart Cathy, authored a bill this year that would change how grain grading um, certification or the education training process, the agency work behind grain grading in the state, how that's handled at the Department of Ag and Forestry. Certainly, you know, in the background, uh, Commissioner Strain, us, Cotton and Grain Association, even the elevators all kind of came together to, this was one of those gets sorted out a lot before you get in the room so it passed with flying colors and, and should benefit our farmers directly but uh yeah we got to go on the offense a little bit with that but that's that's kind of the difference we a senator authored a bill that we didn't like and it you know gets killed anytime it's you know got brought up this is something we've been prioritizing and wanting to see done so that takes a lot of that background legwork this commodity side of my job uh takes months sometimes years in this case it was it was multiple years so what was the issue with grading of grain just how it's subjective it is or how there's not a standardized training what's what's the issue there yeah i mean the grain standards act the federal legislation that dictates what you know what creates dockage or or reduction in value at when you sell your grain that's federal law state can't touch that but the issue that we found is the inconsistency of who's performing that task, who's trying to meet that grain standard. And the way that that federal law reads, which a lot of federal laws do, it gives a state agency the middleman authority over that action, that government oversight. So the Department of Ag and Forestry already had the authority to certify grain graders. But the way the license system was written in law uh, to get a, a warehousing license, you only had to have one person take that test or apply for that uh, and have any sort of proof that they know how grain standards work. And so what we wanted to see was that if any person is carrying out the act of grading grain, that they be trained and certified across the board. So instead of what I call an umbrella license, so if all of us worked for an elevator and Joe gets the license and we all operate under his license, even if we just got hired for an hour, hourly wage yesterday, uh, that decision-making by that person costs farmers tens of thousands of dollars a day. So to just say you can hire somebody off the street with no training or certification was what our farmers told us we can't live with anymore. And that's they've seen that in their operations. You can't spray pesticides. You know, it used to be the farmer could get a license and, you know, anybody that worked for him could go spray or you could, uh, you know, different uh, trucking licenses and things. You know, we, we constantly are updating these kind of rules, and this is one that just has a huge economic impact, and we were able to, to get a bill that changes it. So, Joe, whenever you have an issue like this, an organization like Farm Bureau that's already started to work with other folks, how do you go about approaching Senator Kathy and saying, hey, we need this bill? 
Well, just like that. I mean, he, he's the he's the chairman of agriculture, and he's our greatest champion, or at least should be in the in the, in the Senate. And so, we just tell him and Jack McFarland in the House, you know, that this is important to ag, and just start moving it forward. And you know, we don't ever know what groups might have an interest in issues that we're advancing. You know, and so they're going to, as we start moving the issue forward, they're going to start coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, if there is uh, issues. We've got a couple bills this year that one is our bill. Uh, so far, we're not having any big issues, you know, so. Well, and there's that years of work that goes into that just to kind of pull the veil back on some of that. Before that bill was heard in committee last week, I had already visited with sister commodity groups, commissioner, we had gone to the Commodity Commission that will do oversight of that legislation should it pass. Uh, we talked to the Grain Elevators Organization, uh, National Feed and Grain Association. Uh, we, we'd been... So by the time that Andy or I go talk to the chairman, he basically, if he's a good politician, he knows that's what we've been doing. We've been putting all of this in place. And so he knows when we tell him, go with your bill... You know, Senator Womack, go ahead and go with your bill. He knows that Andy's talked to all these people and put all these piece, pieces of the puzzle in place. Because if Andy didn't, then the senator's going to lose his bill there, and that's the last chance Andy ever gets for that guy to trust him, Senator Womack. Yeah, which is the vast difference in killing a bill versus passing a bill. Right. To, and that's the value of being associated with an organization. Any upset constituent can go to their elected official and say, oh, grain grading is terrible. I got this many dollars off my soybeans last year, which – is what happened, but it took dozens and dozens of those people and then two heavy hitter political organizations and all that wave to get legislation that, you know, should move through pretty easily. So Yeah, it wanted, looks a lot easier when you're there for the hearing, uh, but it's a, it's a gumbo, mm -hmm. okay? And when you sit down and eat a cup of gumbo, it looks great, but it took a lot to get there. And so it, it really does. But, but again, Manny makes another excellent point. Farm Bureau is, is widely known and respected. So when we walk into the room, we've got a Farm Bureau logo over our head. It's just, it's just hanging there. It can't, you know, they can't get away from it. And that garners a bunch of respect uh, and, and lets us in a lot of doors and gives us a lot of uh, uh, leeway in conversations, a lot of respect in conversations. So that bill passed favorably out of the Senate Ag Committee. It'll head next to the Senate. But also there was talk about a resolution that could come up this week uh, concerning automated grading for grain. Yeah, I guess this just shows that we did too good of a job when you get a bill <laughs> and then they decide to throw a resolution on top of it. But no, I'm excited about it. And it speaks to our checkoff system. It speaks to a lot of the other things that our organization's involved with. And uh, Senator Womack, just like Senator Kathy, had heard enough about this issue and has farmers in their district that, that made these calls that they uh, that that Senator Womack went ahead and said he wanted to author something to look at technologies. You know, we'll do this law for now, but this isn't. This is just a band aid. Let's fix this problem, which is great to hear, and let's look at technology. How do we get rid of some of this human error? So, uh, again, outside of the Capitol, we've been involved in that resolution and trying to offer uh, our thoughts on the drafting of it, and it should be heard uh, maybe tomorrow. We're waiting to hear on that today, but. But you've also been involved with the actual automation of grading. Hasn't there been some research done uh, looking at, 
I, I don't know if it's AI, if it's just infrared. What What's the technology there that makes it possible? Because uh, it's sounding like it's going to be the, the chat GPT of, uh, of grain grading. Well, you'll have to just come to Louisiana Farm Bureau Convention and see. Because we're going <laughs> to show the prototype Saturday, June 24th at 1 p.m. in the Soy, Wheat, and Feed Grains Committee. Lincoln uh, bio. Yeah, but <laughs> no, seriously, that's one of the other hats I get to wear is work with our checkoff board who's been funding the Ag Center and LSU uh, have a, a engineer over there that's looking at this through some imaging and some machine kind of AI stuff uh, to where a computer can can read and, and the computer's eyes can look the same every single time, whether you're on truck one of the day or truck 50 of the day or whether your baby mama got mad at you last night or you didn't, you know, you ate McDonald's for breakfast on the way to work. None of those things impact the computer's eyes. So uh, we're uh, we're hopeful. It's still a long way away, but that's why it's encouraging Senator Womack offered this is hopefully you get some political wave behind just the, the money and the science wave. Maybe we can push this thing forward a little faster. Let me just say, I, before my time here at Farm Bureau, I'm sure you've probably learned oh, yeah, to grade Mr. soybeans. Grader, this is, I, used, this. I used to have that. I used to, I've done the training at the Department of Ag, you know, mm-hmm. substation in Oak Grove, I believe is where it was. It's not easy. It's I was going to say, so you're the, you're the problem. I'm you're not the, the problem. reason. I actually, I probably <laughs> graded too hard and took too long and all this kind of stuff, but it's, it's very hard, and and you talking about the first truck or the fiftieth truck by the you know by the mid afternoon, late evening. That's a long. That's a that's a lot of time on your feet or staring at a bunch of soybeans that start to look the same. So I think there's huge value in that being something that can be, uh, you know, it's it's not subjective anymore. Well, like I won't go too deep into this, but soybeans, our grains and soybeans are the oddball out as far as commodities go. Other commodities have federal graders in the room that like cotton and other things have moved to more technology. So mm-hmm. it's just the sheer volume and just the way the system's set up financially. It's a, it's a big mountain to climb. We mm-hmm. certainly know we're up against it, but you know, that's, I told a guy uh, via email the other day, they pay me for persistence. So uh, we'll stay on them until we, we yield something back to our members. Yeah. I think it's, it's really cool. One thing that's persistently coming up this session is there's a lot of money out there that surplus, and uh, I think Joe, you said three point five billion dollars. Three point two billion, and that's 3.2. with a B. Three point two billion with a B. That's and right. Not the kind that buzzes around. So, what's the buzz at the Capitol about where that money's going to go? Well, um, we have three point two billion dollars, but it's only for one-time expenditures. And what we don't spend is supposed to go to the rainy day fund and the interim emergency, uh, some other fund. Budget stabilization? Yeah, that's it. Budget stabilization. That's right. Okay, well, each one of those has $1 billion with a B in it. Okay, so we don't need any more money there. I don't know what happens if we don't spend all the money, but they're trying, like drunken sailors, to do it right now. And, you know, I, I think that uh, we're going to get a large portion of it spent. Um, you know, I think we need to line up the projects that are important to us in agriculture and go after them and uh, put them in the budget bill because next year we're not going off the fiscal cliff. We're going to be going into the fiscal gorge. We're not going to have any more COVID money coming in, which we've had for the past three years. We didn't have any new industries, uh, and I could go on and on, but there's, we're going off the fiscal uh, cliff next year, no doubt. And we're going to have a new governor. 
and we're going to have new members of the legislature, and we're going to have a new secretary of state, and we're going to have a new insurance commissioner. Yes. It's going to be interesting uh, fall, this fall, and it'll make for an interesting four years. We're only going to have 15 new in the House out of 105 and nine new in the Senate out of 39, so that's really not that bad. Um, but we will have new leadership, and that will affect the president of the Senate, the Speaker of the House, and that governor that you're talking about will be a totally different leader than the one we've been used to for eight years. So I don't know who that is, so don't even ask. Well, what about that money? Is, there, is it getting crazy down at the Capitol, people trying to get a piece of this? Because I know usually, usually it gets crazier when there's not enough money. So, that's, well, when, that's when it gets cutthroat. Yeah, and that's when the chairman of appropriations walks about one mile an hour slower because nobody needs him anymore. You know, when he's got money, he's got to walk faster and keep on the run. But uh, no, uh, that money is, uh, I don't know if it's going to all be spent or not. What, what's really happening right now is a lot of legislators are trying to find ways and, and administrators to use this money in a recurring revenue situation. And I'll give you a good example. Teachers' pay raises, firemen, I mean, policemen's uh, supplemental pay raises, because the governor said before the session he wanted to increase them, and there's a bill to do it, from $500 to $600 monthly on their supplemental pay. But then as the bill sits there long enough, the conversation blossoms into, well, it's one-time money, so instead of $100 a month for in perpetuity, let's just give them 1200 bucks you know, a one-time bonus right now so they get a year's worth of $100 worth. So that's they're trying to convert the money into revenue streams that are continuing, but you can't do that. It's, it's mm-hmm. federal money, and the feds don't like when you mess with their money, you know, so you got to spend it on one-time expenditures. And I think they'll do it, but I think it's a good opportunity for any industry or any profession to go get some money for some important projects uh, because it needs to be spent. Well, all you got to just dangle money and folks will come around. And what about on the national front, Andy? Anything that uh, we need to be chatting about? Well, just so folks know, it's not my area of expertise, but a lot of effort's been going on lately on the, the wage rate issues. Uh, Brian Bro's been hot and heavy working with some of our sister organizations trying to figure out legal ways to to take care of that uh, or at least put an injunction on it, or a.k.a. Uh, a pause uh, so we can figure out how to operate a uh, big deal for our sugarcane industry and others. I mean, there's a lot of H2A labor in this state. We haven't had a podcast or you haven't been on the podcast since that issue was up a lot in this department. Yeah, That's they didn't invite me last time. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Actually, I think you were in Denver doing other national affairs stuff. Hemp but research. We were, <laughs> we, we haven't talked about Zippy Duval's trip to the state, but a big part of that discussion was a, a meeting with a bunch of sugarcane farmers and millers, which again, I, you just said it, it's not really. Yeah. And let's go over what the adverse wage rate issue is real quick. Well, the, the basics are if you use the H2 program, the guest worker program, the government tells you what you have to pay them along with a million other regulations about how you have to give them housing and you have to do this and that. But the adverse effect wage rate is the system that they use to set that wage rate or that dollar an hour figure based on job description uh yes uh or job duties also a survey and it's it's a very complicated process but ultimately uh that's a rule from the department of labor and they changed some of that formula that you're alluding to carl that 
it instead of you writing a general job description that could have many duties within that, you now have to pay according to the highest duty within your job description. That's layman's terms. There's mm-hmm. a lot more lawyer speak in there, I'm sure. But what it boils down to is in our state, a lot of times we have, or in a lot of instances, particularly in sugar, uh, those H-2A employees, which are ag laborers by job description, drive a truck, a big truck, haul cane from the field to the mill. Uh, they've jumped through other changes before to form associations and do all these things to keep playing by the rules. Louisiana leads the way uh, in playing by these rules. We know without a doubt other states have just moved either back to uh, illegal migrant labor or other under you know the radar illegal things. But in Louisiana, we've taken a lot of steps, spent a lot of money, given a lot of effort to stay within the regulation and it just keeps changing mm-hmm. this time to the tune of 13 something dollars an hour to $22 an hour, which I um, don't have my calculator out, but that's a big jump on anybody's budget. Sheet. Yeah. Uh, anybody's, you know, one year to incur that much cost on a line item. And it's not just one or two workers. You're talking about well, a yeah. dozen possibly. And that's yeah. why it's so impactful for sugarcane is mm-hmm. the, the volume of workers because of the volume of cane that comes out on an acre versus the volume of, say, soybeans or corn or cotton, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just for added perspective, I mean, you're talking about a $9 per hour increase, roughly, what, 40 hours per worker. I mean, that's a significant amount of money. That is something that can be a budget buster. Yeah, and it, it is a budget buster if you talk to any of these farmers or millers that were in this meeting. Well, and it puts it puts a lot of pressure on a relationship between a mill and a farmer who already have a lot of these financial things lined out. Uh, it, but it doesn't matter. It's not just cane, and we're hearing this across the country. That's why the first lawsuit that you've heard of has come out of uh, Florida in their vegetable and fruit industry. I mean, this is a huge program for agriculture, and— the number one issue, back to Zippy coming, that he says, and, and I can back up because I go to a lot of the same places he does, the number one issue across the board in agriculture is labor and has been for a long time. And instead of finding ways to fix that, we just change labor rules that make it a lot harder and to, to play by the rules and to do the right thing. So mm-hmm. uh, we've – but the problem is this is a rule that is out, and it's not – legislation it's an agency rule and so there's ways in congress to make some changes there's ways legally to do it but that all takes time and money and neither of which are in our favor when a rule has already been given or uh, set forth Mm -hmm. so um, again it's not my area of expertise but it is a huge issue that we've been working on and then secondly uh, just this week last week house ag had some hearings uh, from with farmers sitting on a panel um, it's kind of the farmer, they have a word for it, but the, the committees are, are taking hearings only from farmers right now for the farm bill, trying to hear directly from the producer. Um, and so just for instance, I think today or tomorrow, president of Arkansas Farm Bureau, Rich Hillman, is going to represent the rice industry through USA Rice. Uh, I read his testimony this morning, his written testimony. So just there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Farm Bill is is really picking up steam, and we're right in the thick of that, too. It's a busy time. Busy well, time. Well, you know, it's a good thing it's a busy time because otherwise we wouldn't have jobs, Yeah. right? I mean, yeah. uh, and it gives us, us going. It gives us stuff that's, to talk about. That's what I say about government. You know, as an individual, 
I think it needs to be burned down to the ground and started over. But as a lobbyist, government been very, very good to me. <laughs> and with that, y'all have been very good listening to us go on and on and on. I appreciate it on behalf of Andy Brown, Joe Mapes, and Carl Wiggers. I'm Avery Davidson. Thank you for joining us for the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast. <laughs> <laughs>